0: okay today is October the uh, 19th 2010 can you believe that two thousand we're closing in on the end of 2010 already wow something else okay let's prepare ourselves in our usual fashion we'll have a few moments of silent prayer the option of rebound if necessary let us pray Heavenly Father, thank You for this opportunity to be here, to focus upon Your Word. Your Word is what sustains us and gives us stability and hope. And we thank You that we're not required to be a genius in order to understand it because it is because of Your grace system of perception that we can understand the whole realm of doctrine. We just have to have positive volition and the Holy Spirit does the rest. We thank you for this and pray that you'll help us to concentrate, for we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to start tonight on, we're going to kind of rewind a little bit back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 through 18. And I'm aware that we've already been over that. We were going to begin on verses that we haven't done yet and I know we've done this but since we did this particular went over this these two verses or three verses I read some more and I thought it was good enough to insert into our notes if you've already printed these notes I apologize because when I insert them here it changes the page numbers for what we're going to be doing following this but uh, be that as it may, I thought that this would be worth going back and taking note of it. This came from, uh, we, we just have a couple of paragraphs here, and it comes from uh, Warren, Riz- Warren, Whit- <laughs> Warren Risby in his book called Prayer, Basic Training, and it's uh, from uh, Tyndale. So anyway, this is the first thing that I have on the agenda for tonight. Is uh, has something to do with prayer. So First Thessalonians chapter five, verse sixteen through eighteen: Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And we spent some time on these three very short verses because there's so much in them. But the part that I wanted to augment at this point is the part about pray without ceasing. This is from what Warren Risby has to say about prayer here. Quote, If we have all Bible but no prayer, we, we may have a great deal of truth but no power. It would be light without heat. On the other hand, if we have all prayer but no Bible teaching, we are in danger of becoming fanatics. Heat without light. Zeal is a good thing, but zeal without knowledge is usually destructive. A proper balance of Bible study and prayer is important to a balanced Christian life. I think the first part of that is so important to realize that if you have all Bible, in other words, if you have all the knowledge and you're coming and you're acquiring the knowledge that would help you to execute the Christian way of life, but you have no prayer, then you don't have the power to execute it. You can't execute what we learned on your own power, and it is through prayer that we are able to tap into that power. Now, most of the time, we tap into that power in prayer simply by rebounding, by acknowledging our sins. But we need to... Go to the Lord every time there's any concern at all in our life. Also, whenever we are thankful, which should be every day about so many things. So we should be, as this says, uh, pray without ceasing. We should either be praising, giving thanks, giving him our concerns, uh, putting our burden on him. This is an ongoing thing. So there's a few other things that he says that I think are of note. He says, the only way the Word of God can become real in our lives is through prayer and obedience. One reason we have unbalanced Christians in our churches is the lack of prayer to back up the study of God's Word. It's much easier to get Christians to attend Bible study than a prayer meeting, and yet we need both. Jesus taught His disciples, and then He prayed for them. Then He says, Do not pray for easy lives. He's quoting Philip Brooks here. Pray to be stronger men. Do not pray for tasks equal to your powers. Pray for powers equal to your tasks. Pray that prayer that asks nothing accomplishes nothing. We sing in one of our Oh, one of our familiar hymns. This is part of a hymn. I don't think it gives what it, is, what it is, but it's by John Newton. Maybe some of you will recognize the hymn this is from, but it says, Thou art coming to a king, large petitions with thee bring, for his grace and power are such. None can ever ask too much. Do any of you recognize what hymn that's from? Well, that's a great part right there. We can never bring a petition that is too large for our Lord, nor one that's too small. Living in the will of God makes it possible for us to pray without ceasing. 1 Thessalonians five seventeen. that's the verse we were covering. This command obviously does not mean that we are to go around mumbling prayers. Our real praying is expressed by the desires of our heart. If our lips frame requests that are different from the desires in our heart, then we are praying hypocritically. God does not hear words. What He hears, I think I left something out there. What He hears, He doesn't hear words. What He hears is or sees is your desires. When we pray by faith, we start seeing things from the divine perspective. Faith enables us to see the invisible. Isn't that great? we can see the invisible by prayer faith treats as present and accomplished that which god will do in the future for we walk by faith not by sight second corinthians chapter 5 verse 7 it just when i when i read these things they just struck me it's very simple but it's worded so so well faith treats as present and accomplished that which god will do in the future that's What faith is. It's just trust. I think more than anything else, what hinders all of us is lack of faith. Because we are to live by faith and not by sight, and that is not according to our nature. And we're so tempted to fall back on our own resources rather than just taking it to the Lord and waiting for Him. Now, that was by, again, Warren Risby. So that's. Y'all, shut your eyes as I scroll. Now I don't make anybody dizzy. I think I'll I'll touch on this also because the next verse had to do with thankfulness, and I read this before, but I think it's worth reading again. It's entitled "Thankful After Robbery," and this came from Encyclopedia Seven Illustrations. Matthew Henry, the famous scholar, was once accosted by thieves and robbed of his purse. He wrote these words in his diary. Quote, Let me be thankful first because I was never robbed before. Second, because although they took my purse, they did did not take my life. Third, because although they took my all, it was not much. And fourth, because it was I who was robbed and not I who robbed. I think that's very... Interesting. And then I can't pass by this. You see the star. There's not many stars. So a person cannot give thanks in every situation apart from filling of the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit and doctrine in the soul that gives us the ability to continue in hope and confidence in God, even in adversity when attacked by evil. This is why we give thanks. This is what we give thanks for, is that we can continue in confidence and hope in God. We're not thanking God for the calamities that befall us from time to time. We thank God for the fact that we can continue to hope and have confidence in Him. I wish I would have brought an email that I received. I think it was today or yesterday. It was from Martin Mueller. Anybody know Martin Mueller? George Mueller's son. And he's had uh, such a hard time with his health. He has an issue with his with his jaw, and the email was explaining how he can't open his jaw, but just a just a little bitty part. He's had cancer in his jaw. Now he's got an infection in it, and this has been ongoing. Y'all know y'all know how long? How many years? Yeah, two or three years, something like that. Okay, well, you can, you can see it. Dot will have it on the prayer list that she passes out. But it's his attitude. I, I think of him when I see this because uh, he made light of something, uh, something about a politician, and, and he, can, he can joke after going through horrendous things. I mean, when you read an, e- uh, an email like that and, or just listen to people, if you think you have problems and they're getting you down, all you have to do is talk to other people you don't have to go far. You're going to find people who have it much worse than you do. And I was thinking of Martin Mueller when I saw this this particular <coughs> part of the notes that he has hope. He has confidence. And he's certainly looking forward to the time when um, Jesus Christ is going to return and all this is going to be behind us. So we were talking about part of of... We are to give thanks in all things. We're all going to suffer. We're to give thanks in all things. You can't do that apart from knowing the Word of God. Now, this is where we're picking up from last time. No one is able to obey the first part of this verse. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm sorry for scrolling here again. In everything, give thanks, for this is the, God's will for you in Christ Jesus. This is verse 18. Now, no one can do the first part of this verse in everything give thanks (coughs) without first believing the last part. Did you see the last part? For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Nothing happens by accident. Now, accidents happen, but accidents are not accidents. It's part of God's plan. And whenever you encounter adversity, whenever you are suffering for whatever reason, you have to recognize that, that, that God means it for good in your life. That's why Romans 8:28 is so important, to keep that in the foremost part of your soul, that all things work together. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God to those who are called according to His purpose. So, everything isn't good for us. I mean, it's not pleasant, but God can work whatever it is to our good, and we keep that attitude, then we can rejoice always. God wants us to rise above our circumstances and have an attitude of gratitude because we have confidence in Him to see us through the storms of life. How much confidence do you have in God when something automatically or not or suddenly comes into your life and it's shocking, it's disturbing, it's something that you really rather not have to deal with? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is able to see you through it? Here's something that I thought was really neat. It's called Between Prison and Monastery. And I got this from the 7700 illustrations. It says, quote, Dr. David Sopper in God is inescapable, suggests that basically the difference between a prison and a monastery is just the difference between griping and gratitude. Undoubtedly, this is true. Imprisoned criminals spend every waking moment griping. Self-imprisoned saints spend every waking moment offering thanks. Dr. Somper says that when a criminal becomes a saint, a prison may become a monastery. And when a saint gives up gratitude, a monastery may become a prison. It all has to do with your attitude, doesn't it? I remember... Years ago, I read some of the books of Zig Ziglar. See You at the Top was one of the names of of his books. (coughs) Excuse me. And he used to say, it's not your aptitude, but your attitude that determines your altitude. I would take a person any day that may not have the skill or the talent but has a good attitude because you can have a person that is very qualified and has tremendous talent, but if they have a bad attitude, it's trouble. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19 through 22. 1 Thessalonians five nineteen through 22. Have you noticed how short these verses are? Just very sharp, but very powerful. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully, hold fast to that which is good, abstain from every form of evil. We have two negative commands and three positive commands in four sharp sentences. First of all, we have, "Do not quench the spirit." And here we have spinumi, s p e n n u m i, and it is that, that's the, that's the Greek word for quench. And you have the it, this is a present active imperative. Nearly every one of these verses have imperative moods. It, it's as if Apollos is just getting it all in at the at the end. And don't do this. Don't do. I want you to do this, but don't do this and do this. He's just giving a short list. It means to hinder, to dampen, to thwart, quench, or extinguish. Quenching the Holy Spirit does not mean that He leaves us or no longer indwells us. That that doesn't have anything to do with the quenching of the Holy Spirit. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit indwells you. And nothing can change that. The worst Christian that ever lived still was indwelt by the Holy Spirit if you ever get a chance to to talk to someone usually they, they they may be professing christians but they may may be at a church where they really uh, don't get much training you need to maybe help them if you can to recognize the difference between the indwelling and the filling of the holy spirit because i know of uh, many people who have been believers for decades, and they've never been taught the difference between the indwelling and the filling of the Holy Spirit. Do you know why that's so important? Because if you don't know the distinction between those two, then it's very easy for you to think that maybe you could lose your salvation or maybe never had it to begin with. Because whenever they get into carnality, whenever they lose that connection, that power source, they think, if they don't know that they're indwelt by the Holy Spirit and it's permanent, they think that they're losing a connection with God as if it's not there anymore. So we always have God within us, but when we, whenever we sin we lose the connection of the empowering of the Holy Spirit, but we do not lose the Holy Spirit. There are so many people out there that struggle with eternal security. It's a shame that so many people do. And that's one of the first things that you have to address in your own life if you have people that are struggling in their Christian life. Many times that's what, that's what it is. And this quenching the Holy Spirit has nothing to do with salvation, eternal salvation. It has everything to do with fellowship, not eternal salvation. I can't really emphasize that enough. It means that we crimp off His influence over us when we choose to sin. We unplug ourselves from the power source. The Holy Spirit is the power. The old sin nature takes over the command post of our soul. And the only way to get the Holy Spirit back into the driver's seat, as you know, is, to, is by acknowledging our sins to God, 1 John 1.9. There are so many believers that do not understand this. And it's, it's a shame because it, it causes undue suffering in their lives. Ephesians 5.18 says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, or with the Spirit. Now, the thing about being filled, I think the Greek word there is plerao, and this is a present passive imperative. Vidal, do you have your... your, uh, Go to ephesians five eighteen I want to make sure that's not not uh I'm pretty sure it's perfect tense that's what I want to make sure of I think it is uh perfect well, what what's unusual about this is it's in the passive voice. you are giving a command the, this is the bible giving you a command, giving me a command, but it's in the passive voice. How do you obey a command that's in the passive voice? It's not telling you to do something; it's telling you to receive something. Isn't that interesting? Now, uh, quench not the Holy Spirit is a present active imperative. It is present tense. Okay, I thought it was, but here we have uh, be filled with the Holy Spirit, which is a is the passive voice, something you receive. So here's 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 what it is when we. Acknowledge our sins to God, we receive something. This is so important for people who think that you have to do penance, because uh, there's a, one of the largest religions in the world that is steeped in penance. Believes that the way that you get God back into your life is that you have to count beads or, or. You know they have all this ritual and and things that you need to do. That's why I get so surly around the time of Lent, because Lent is all about penance. It's a it's an insult to God that we can do something in order to um, lessen the 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 problem we have with sin, and we can't. Christ took care of our sin problem. Now it's an issue of fellowship. So when we acknowledge our sins to God, then we receive the Holy Spirit, the filling of the Holy Spirit. So but we still have something we have to deal with here. We have two commands here. One is do not quench the Holy Spirit. Now you know why do you know why that's in the active voice? Because you can do something to quench the Holy Spirit. but you can't do anything in order to be filled with the Holy Spirit other than acknowledge your sins, which really is not a work, and you receive it in the passive voice. But what's what's the difference between the two? We are no longer filled with the Holy Spirit when we quench the Holy Spirit. So what does this mean? We, We know we have the command to be filled with the Holy Spirit. When we quench the Holy Spirit, we're no longer filled with the Holy Spirit. We're still indwelled, but not filled. So what does this mean? We switch from operating on omnipotent divine power to puny human power. Puny human power. How long? How many times do we have to go through this when I'm, I'm you and, and myself included that we want to handle it ourselves? How many times in your life have you tried to handle it yourself and then finally? It dawned on you, oh yeah, <laughs> I've got the omnipotent God on my side. I don't have to scurry around and fret about this. All I have to do is in prayer go to the Lord and first of all acknowledge that I'm worried about this. I'm probably angry about it, whatever it is. And then put it on Him. I'm worried about this. I can't let it go. I just, It's just like y'all are old enough to remember the tar baby. Y'all remember the tar baby, uh, Jenny? Do you remember the tar baby? You don't know about the tar baby. Okay. <laughs> anyway, uh, Uncle Remus and the the the, the 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 is one of the tales of Uncle Remus. He couldn't get rid of the tar baby, and that's the way we are sometimes with with some with an issue, and it, it's, it's bothering. You. It's on your mind, and you're you're talking to people. You're going through your routine. You're doing things. But always it's right there. And you all know what I'm talking about. And the way that we handle that is is that we might as well be up front and forthright with the Lord and say, I am in continual worry here. And I need help to get this out of my soul, get it out of my mind, and start thinking about your power and how much you love me and your promises that you're going to see me through this and that you will never leave me or forsake me. And you start thinking in those terms. And before you know it, when you're thinking those terms, it's already gone. That's what releases the tar, baby. And that's what we have to remember is that we need to let go of the problem and give it to God. That's what He wants us to do. We switch from thinking His wonderful divine viewpoint From thinking his wonderful divine viewpoint to arrogant human viewpoint, it's arrogant to think that you can handle the issues on your own. They're much too. Why is that? What does Ephesians chapter six say? That we, our our battle is not against flesh and blood, but uh, against powers in high places. This is this is we're in the angelic war, and there are forces that are are pit against us that are much more powerful than we are. We can't even begin to to have a chance in that. So we have to go to a higher power, of course, which is the Lord. We switch from the potential of suffering for blessing to punitive suffering of divine discipline. When you quench the Holy Spirit, that's what we've done. You're going to have suffering. What is the first kind of suffering you're going to have? Self-induced. You make your own bad decisions and you're going to suffer because of them. But when you start getting angry, blaming other people, being arrogant and throwing a pity party, then what's going to happen? God's going to turn up the heat because you haven't gone to Him. You're worried, you're angry, you're you're just arrogant. And so God will turn up the heat with divine discipline. I wish I, I, I thought about doing this, but I didn't do it because I think y'all are sophisticated spiritually enough to know the difference between suffering for undeserved, undeservedly and suffering for discipline. I have a whole chart showing how you can tell when you're suffering for, for uh, discipline or whether you're suffering undeservedly so that God can advance you. I don't know what the look of y'all's face. Maybe I should have put it up here. I don't know. We'll see. Now, here's the... Whenever you quench the Spirit, then this is what you no longer have, the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. So, first of all, love is replaced with hate. It might be the person that has offended you. It might be the organization that treated you unfairly. It might just be life in general. You just hate life. Everything's not going according to the way you think it should. Whatever it is, your love. And that's the first thing that goes is your love. The second thing is joy. And it's replaced with unhappiness and misery. You know, sometimes I I think in myself that I have, and I think you have it also, I call it a spiritual barometer. You know, a barometer tells what the uh, pressure is so that you can tell whether, what is it, if it's, Low pressure, isn't it? and then low pressure when you have the storms uh, come in, and higher pressure keeps them away and so forth. Well, when you have a low pressure, spiritually speaking, when you've grieved the Holy Spirit or you've quenched the Holy Spirit, then you have unhappiness and misery. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I have to go quite a spell being miserable and unhappy before it dawns on me ah, something's not right. If you were a cook, I'd make a miserable cook. When if I was a in this spiritual analogy, because the turkey would be burnt to a crisp before I, it dawned on me that something wasn't wasn't right. Now I don't spend much time in the kitchen apart from eating, but I do know that there are ways to know if something isn't going right in there. You can hear it sometimes. Sometimes you can smell it, uh, and, and for people like me the smoke alarm will go off that's pretty good that's a pretty good uh, warning that something is not right but we just tend to miss those signals sometimes are y'all you with me you know what I'm talking about peace is replaced with stress and bitterness stress and bitterness you can't afford it and I can't afford it i think sometimes stress leads to bitterness if you're not filled with the Holy Spirit, it's tough on your body too. So I'm told. I've taught the kids. Did y'all ever see the um, the screen that I had the the PowerPoints? Well, it wasn't PowerPoint then. I actually drew in the the doctrinal shield and the in impl- the implosion. Is it I know some of you are nodding your head. Some of you have seen, it, but I think some of you haven't because that was. We did that a long time, long before I had PowerPoint or anything. Anyway, I brought that out for the kids recently. And what it amounts to is you have a circle in the middle and that's where you live. That's your soul. That's your command post. And around that is a doctrinal shield. And around that is I have uh, rebound and faith rest and personal sense of destiny and have all this doctrine around it. And on the outside you have all these things trying to penetrate that shield. You have bad health, and you have war, and you have taxes, and you have um, mechanical breakdown. Everything in life is trying to penetrate that, and it's the shield around that soul is your doctrine. And as long as you're thinking doctrine, you're applying, do- you will not have stress. You won't have bitterness. But then I have a, the the one the, the the companion of the doctrine or shield is what happens when one of those arrows penetrates the soul. And I always like to show it because it's an explosion. And it shows, then the sinner becomes unhappy and it becomes miserable and everything. Anyway, that's what came to my mind when I think of stress. We all are prone to enter into stress apart from having that doctrinal shield around our soul that keeps all of that out. It's not the circumstances that get us down. It's the stress from the circumstances And when you have stress, you know what it means? You're not trusting the Lord. You're not rejoicing always because probably you haven't been praying and you probably haven't been acknowledging your sins to God. That's the issue. I would like to (laughs) go to the next one. I'd like to, to pass this one, but it is here. Love, joy, peace, patience. Of course, the... Patience is, in, is replaced with impatience. Kindness is replaced with ill-natured and thoughtlessness. Have you ever known anybody that was just pretty well ill-natured all the time, or a lot of the time? Anyone that has an ill nature is usually thoughtless, and they're very unhappy. One reason is because they are consumed with themselves. That's who they think about. They think everybody is here, the whole world is for them to serve and be at their beck and call, and they're miserable and ill-natured. And about this ill-natured part also, people are prone to excuse being thoughtless and ill-natured. Well, I had a bad day. You ever use that one? <laughs> yeah, I can tell. We all have. Goodness is replaced with evil and spite. Sometimes we we lose track of the of the fact that we are to be just good, good people. In fact, some of the just about everybody here, from at one time and another, when people ask me about my church, and I, it's not the building. We have a nice facility, but the church is sitting in the pews you and so many times i've tried to explain about the people that go to country bible church you know how i wind up saying it they're good people you ever done that i mean that is a high accolade good people and faithfulness is replaced with disloyalty gentleness is replaced with harshness and insensitivity boy that world out there is very harsh Very insensitive. That has become the norm these days, unfortunately. And then the last one, self-control, is replaced with no willpower. Sometimes I wonder what happened to my willpower. Have you ever self-control and willpower? It takes a concerted effort sometimes to have willpower and self-control, but this is talking about something that's produced by the Holy Spirit. Sometimes those who are caught in the web of addictions, whether it be smoking or drinking, and they have an addiction for just about everything now. The Bible says that you can have self-control. And the reason you can have self-control as a believer is because the Holy Spirit will produce it in your life. See, the whole thing is the Holy Spirit produces these things in a way that we cannot. It's His power that does it. And when we quench or grieve the Holy Spirit, everything on the left-hand column changes over there to what it is on the right-hand column. So this is what happens when we quench the Holy Spirit. All these things are replaced. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So we have grieving and quenching the Holy Spirit. Is there any difference between grieving the Holy Spirit and quenching the Holy Spirit? There is a difference between the two in how we get out of fellowship, but not in the consequences. The result is the same. So, these two terms have everything to do with how we get out of out of fellowship, but Whether you're quenching the Holy Spirit or grieving the Holy Spirit, the consequences are the same. Everything on that left-hand column reverts over to what is on the right-hand column. Now, this is a quote by R.B. Thiem, Jr., Old Sin Nature versus the Holy Spirit. Quote, We must distinguish between quenching and grieving the Holy Spirit. Both are committed by the believer only and put him out of fellowship but they are different categories of failure. The difference is related to the areas of the old sin nature. By definition, the old sin nature is the source of human good and evil. The sin nature designated as sin, the flesh, and the old man in Scripture is the center of man's rebellion towards God. It has an area of weakness which produces personal sins, as in Romans 12.1. In an area of strength which produces human good, as in Isaiah 64 6. Quenching the spirit is human good from the area of strength. Grieving the Holy Spirit is sin from the area of weakness. That's the difference. So if you have in the area of strength is where you produce human good, which is not acceptable to God. And grieving. The Holy Spirit comes from your area of weakness, which is sin. The consequence is the same. You're still out of fellowship. You're you, you're not producing the fruit of the Spirit, and you're in carnality. So that's the difference between the two. Just have a little time left. Verse twenty. Any, before I press on, I don't go Is there any questions before I press on over what we've gone over so far? Quenching the Holy Spirit? Yeah. Okay, anytime you're in uh, carnality, what you're producing is human good. It's, it's not bad. It's not sin. But it's not God that's producing it through you. And a lot of times, even when we're uh, facing a situation, um, uh, so many people think that they can essentially barter with God uh, bribe God with doing good things in order to get blessings from God. So if you were in that category and you're trying to um, get on God's good side by doing good, not not by acknowledging your sins, not under the filling of the Holy Spirit, not under His power, then that is human good. And when you're when you're in human good, if you're producing human good, what does it mean? It means you're not filled with the Holy Spirit. It means that you. You, you have quenched the Holy Spirit. And everything in that column on the left the, the, that we find in Galatians, the, the fruit of the Spirit, you're going to be on that right-hand side column. Was that on the right to y'all also? Okay. The right-hand column, you don't want, you don't want to have that. So that's quenching the Holy Spirit. You, you, you haven't sinned. You're out there hustling for God, trying to impress Him by your own efforts. You're doing good things, but it's outside the realm of the spirit. It's not in the spiritual realm anymore. It's in the human realm. You're doing it, and then uh, as opposed to grieving the Holy Spirit, and you have a multitude of illustrations there. You get angry at someone. You fire off on someone. Um, you're you lie to someone. You're worried. All those uh, usually that you you have the the. Middle attitude sins and sins of the tongue, and the overt sins, you know, on our sin list. That would be would be applied to grieving the Holy Spirit. Quenching the Holy Spirit is when you're you're not filled with the Holy Spirit. You're doing human good, but you're still no longer plugged into the power source. Does that help? Okay. Yes. Mm. You Right. Yeah, there, people may may give tremendous amounts of money to the church. And if they're doing it because they're either trying to impress God or they're trying to gain influence in the church or whatever it is, you can't say that that's that giving money to the church is a bad thing. It's not a bad thing, but it's just human good in the sense that it was motivated uh, by uh, a mental attitude sin. But it, what what the overt action of it itself wasn't wasn't uh, sin, but it's certainly not acceptable to God. You all know this is one of the places where a lot of people get mixed up. Human good has not been judged by God at all. Not by not for the believer or the unbeliever. It is yet to be judged. And human good for the believer is going to be judged at the judgment seat of Christ. And human good for the unbeliever is going to be judged at the great white throne judgment. Christ took care of the sin problem on the cross, but He... He did not deal with human good at that point. And so when we produce human good, we are quenching the Holy Spirit. And it it, um, gets us, we we are then out of, in fact, the only way that you can produce human good is to be out of fellowship. Because otherwise, if you were doing good, you'd be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that is the power source. He's the one, see, God, God is not impressed with what we do. He's not impressed with the best thing that you can come up with. I don't care how self-sacrificial it may be. It doesn't impress Him. Nothing we can do impresses Him. He is only impressed with what He does and rightfully so. And so when we, in humility, acknowledge our sins to God, then He is able to empower us and do great things through us and that's what he's, He's impressed with. And to show how Great and wonderful He is. He's the one that produces the good, the divine good, through us, and yet we're still going to get rewarded for it. Now that's the deal, isn't it? Huh? We, He commands us to do. We were looking at all these commands: rejoice always, prayer uh, continually, to prayer, give thanks for for all things. Now. I submit to you that there's not a believer in this church nor anywhere else on this on this planet that can do that under their own power. He commands us to do things that are far superior, higher than what we are capable of doing, but he gives us the ability to do it through his own spirit, and then when we just when we just humbly acknowledge our sins, then we're empowered by the Holy Spirit, and we can do these commands. Through His power, and you would think, well, why would He, why would He, reward us for things that He's doing? He's doing it. Why would we get rewarded? Grace. That's why. That's 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 our contact with God all the way down the line is grace. We're saved by grace. We have logistical grace. You know all the different five kind of graces. We have all this grace, and we tend to forget about that sometimes. So this is, this is a, a, a wonderful thing to explain to other people is once you're a believer, see a lot of people think once you become a believer then you still have to hustle, you still have to work because there's a lot of religions out there that muddy the water, they're not grace oriented, they don't know what grace is about. And so they think that this work is, is necessary to maintain your salvation even. You know, there's more people, I, I would probably venture a guess that there's more people who think that you have to maintain your salvation with God, even once you supposedly have it, than those who rightfully know that they have eternal security, period. Because there are not many grace oriented people in this world. And they don't know. If you're not grace oriented, you don't know who God is. Now, I kind of went off on this. But I think it's an important issue to understand what this human good versus divine good is all about. And we're going to be rewarded for what God does. And we don't have to get out there. Aren't you glad you don't have to go out there and hustle and do great things for God in order to be rewarded? There's no competition between us because it's all grace. How do you compete for grace? You don't. We all get grace. And for God to to be that that uh, gracious is just shows how great He is. Uh, okay, we'll just look at verse twenty for just a moment here. Do not do not despise prophetic utterances. And uh, do not despise is exoutheneo, e x o u t h e n e o. It's a verb. Another look at that present active imperative. It means to, brought, uh, to, to bring to naught, to despise or treat with scorn. And that's that's what uh, do not despise means. And then you have prophetic utterances. And here you have uh, propheteia, P-R-O-P-H-E-T-E-I-A. And it's a noun accused of plural feminine. And then I have a quote here from the... Spirios Zodiatis. I like to say his name. So I just Spear, How would you like to have a name like that? What's your name? Sperios Zodiotis. And what's my name? Mike Smith. Well, yeah. Well, one thing. One nice thing about it, I never have to spell my name to anybody. Can you imagine if you ever if your name was Sperios Zodiatis, you'd have to you'd say it and then you start spelling it right. Specifically, the exercise of the prophetic gift or charisma in the primitive church. Prophecy was a distinctive charisma gift, distinguishable from that of the apostle and the teacher. While the apostle was a traveling missionary, the prophets and teachers were in general attached to a local church. And when you see this charisma, you have kara means joy and charis means gi- uh, grace and so uh, you, if you have we all have charisma we all have a, a, a grace gift all, all the gifts of God the spiritual gifts are grace gifts there was an office of prophet in the Old Testament that no longer exists today do you hear that doesn't exist today have any of you ever heard anybody claim that they're a prophet? Yeah. When Ron, Ron was here, my nephew, you know, he's the webmaster. He said he walked. <laughs> he worked with a in, a in a place here in Brenham, and he said uh, he worked with an apostle and a prophet. I said, "Really? All right." <laughs> and uh, it was interesting. Some of the story, and they were. Their religion taught that they were, some were apostles and some were prophets. Anyhow, that was an Old Testament office that no longer exists today. And there was a temporary spiritual gift of prophecy that no longer exists today. Y'all understand that? The spiritual gift of prophecy? So there's an Old Testament office of prophecy and a temporary spiritual gift of prophecy that no longer exists. At the time, that this epistle was written, the temporary spiritual gift of prophecy was operational, but evidently there were believers in Thessalonica who rejected the people who exercised this temporary spiritual gift. Y'all know what the 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 spiritual gift of prophecy? They they were. Well, this is too late in the hour to get into this. I probably should have stopped, but I'll just say this for right now. <laughs> The temporary spiritual gift of prophecy was filling in. All the spiritual gifts, the temporary ones, were to fill in before the canon of Scripture was completed. And the spiritual gift of prophecy was to know what the prophecy that was going to be revealed in the New Testament was before it was even revealed. And it wasn't an office, though. It was a spiritual gift. And it appears that Paul had to handle this issue because for whatever reason there were some people who were despising a prophetic utterances in other words when someone would would use their spiritual gift to talk about some future event there were certain people that maybe were opposed to that or offended because of it whatever and he was handling that so we're out of time we'll pick this up next time and don't forget tomorrow that at 10 o'clock they're going to have the Glory Be Girls here and they will have David Barton on a DVD and the guys are welcome as well. Let's close. Father, thank You for this time You've given us to focus upon Your mighty Word. We thank You for the fact that we can rejoice always and that we can go to You at any time without appointment to talk to You about anything. What a wonderful God. What grace. We pray that we will take advantage of this and will be on the alert not to quench the Holy Spirit nor grieve the Holy Spirit, but whenever we do, we'll be quick to use our escape hatch, which is, of course, your grace method for regaining fellowship by confession of sin. We thank you for this. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.